Pod. Pod. Welcome back to Say Who Say Pod. Pod. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. We recorded our last episode, Danny, seven days ago on schedule. This episode's coming out on time on schedule. It has not been a significant amount of time yet. In the time since we last spoke to you, the Washington Huskies beat the Oregon Ducks 34-31 to in the Pac-12 championship game to win the Pac-12, advanced to 13-0. and They were then selected as the number two seed in the college football playoff, facing Woo! Texas in the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans on New Year's Day. Michael Penix Jr. has been named a Heisman Trophy finalist, the second in Woo! UW history, although he is not the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, on the same day... Michael Penix Jr. was named a Heisman finalist. Jake Browning threw for 354 yards for the Cincinnati Bengals in an overtime victory at Jacksonville on Monday Night Football. Dude was dealing. Kalen DeBoer on Tuesday was named Pac-12 Coach of the Year. Washington had eight first or second team all Pac-12 selections uh, in, in the postseason awards. And Zach Durfee. Washington's edge rusher transfer from the University of Sioux Falls, who's been ineligible to play this season uh, because of of an NCAA ruling that he qualifies as a two-time transfer, will be eligible to play in the college football playoff. He will be eligible after the the current academic term ends on December 15th. That will be, uh, that's considered to mark the end of his year in residence. So how about that? Free Durf! Free Durf! How'd you, how would you how would you like to make your your FBS Division One Power Five whatever debut in the college football playoff? That'd be pretty awesome, man. I feel like they should really embrace kind of the whole thing. He's an edge rusher. Bring him out on a hand truck, Hannibal Lecter style. Like he is going to be the the raging beast, frothing at the mouth, coming off the edge against and and tracking down Quinny. Quinn yours. He's going to be our secret weapon. No, I don't think we should really do that, but it's pretty awesome. It I, is. It, I, it's, it's lame that it's taken this long, but that's a pretty cool moment. It is good for them. Um, good. For, I mean, it, it's good for him first and foremost that like he, he's got something to, to look forward to. Of course it does open up the question. Like you've, you've got your rotations established. He's been on scout team all year. You know, to what extent are you going to, depend on or rely on or or insert him into the rotation is it just a handful of snaps is it you know have they just oh my gosh can't wait till till zach Dervy gets eligible because he's gonna be you know the first guy off the bench type of thing um you say yeah i i would i would certainly uh caution not to expect too much from somebody who's who's not played all season and, and hasn't played uh at all at the division one level but obviously uh, there's been a palpable excitement about his potential and what he is um, as an athlete, the way that he goes about his business, the way that he works out. I mean, you could just you, you say Zach Durfee to certain members of Washington's team and they just kind of start laughing, you know, um, it, it, as in a way that's like, yeah, you you guys just wait. You know, so I think they they see the numbers he puts up in the weight room and the way that he attacks things. And, um, you know, we got to watch him practice a little bit in the spring. He was banged up, but uh, I think he had a sack in the spring game um, and saw him some in fall camp. And he's an explosive, big, you know, big, explosive athlete off the edge there who um, immediately earned the respect of everybody with uh, 
with the way he he works and uh be interesting to see if they can can get him on the field a little bit against texas let's go let's go it's that time of year where it feels like everything has gone right for washington i i don't have children i feel like if i did have children my happiness on friday would not have eclipsed and not equaled but maybe would have come close to the birth of these hypothetical children which seems silly to anyone who actually has children or has their priorities in order but since the children don't exist i don't really feel all that bad about uh comparing my hypothetical happiness at their birth to how i felt when washington beat oregon for the second time in two months i feel like we talked about this after the first game i asked you You've been a Husky fan for a long time. You've seen a lot of uh, a lot of highs and lows, and and where that game ranked on your satisfaction scale relative to the to their win October fourteenth, and and with you being at that game and the atmosphere and everything, um, where did did Friday night rank for you? Right up there. I had planned to be there. I wasn't there. I regret the fact that I wasn't there, but the fact that for two months there was kind of this underlying sense that many people had that were they to meet on a neutral field were Oregon to get a second crack at them given what happened in the first game that Oregon would have the advantage the fact that Oregon was a nine and a half point favorite and then to watch it was a great game um I really tried to be uh something that is unusual for me tried to be mature uh, in in victory and not <laughs> resort to sort of off the cuff diminishments of Oregon's historical football achievements or over overly broad generalizations about their fan base that these were two really good teams that played two great games and Washington won both of them and as such kind of made a pretty definitive statement this season it was a really good game i think it's the second biggest win in program history I think the I think the only victory that is that is higher than it, the only one that's more significant is the win over Michigan in the ninety one Rose Bowl to finish that that unbeaten season. I it means that much, I think. And regardless of what happens going forward, I I, I do feel that that it is the second biggest win in the program's history. I mentioned this a little bit in, in I think my day after story, but the the atmosphere and just kind of the the energy in the building i mean it felt like a championship it felt yeah. like a like a postseason game it felt like a playoff game i was telling my wife the other day that like it didn't it didn't feel this quite the same as the peach bowl um in in 2016 the playoff game against alabama of course that was you know you're talking about a huge dome stadium filled with mostly alabama fans so mm-hmm. that was you know that was an amazing experience i mean just to see that and and kind of feel that that energy and and um it's different right i mean it's different even than just your regular old rose bowl now when it's not a playoff game um this this on friday night felt the closest to to that peach bowl to that playoff atmosphere uh, of any building i've ever been in it was very it was i think a pretty good even fan split maybe maybe a little more oregon fans than Washington fans, maybe a little more than 50-50, maybe not quite 60-40, but somewhere in there. And and um, it was loud. Everybody was into it. I mean, both teams were just 
you could tell put everything into that game playing so hard Washington gets the big lead but Oregon hangs in there and chips back and and takes the lead and and they make a big play when they fall down 10 in the last couple minutes when it looks like Washington's finally put it away and um, I mean just two teams playing super hard super high stakes didn't need to be explained to anybody you know Um, just an awesome awesome football game an awesome atmosphere Oregon deserves a lot of credit it really felt like Washington was going to not run away with it, but that they built uh, a, a large enough lead that they were going to be able to, to, to withstand. I didn't see, I didn't see Oregon making the comeback that it did and scoring 21 straight points. And Washington is a tough team, man. Like that's, that's just all you're going to say about it. They're tough. They, they don't, they don't flinch when they're down. They've come back late. And I think that's really hard to do as a football team. In 2016 at the Peach Bowl, and I was there that that game, there was there wasn't the same level of expectation that that I had, or the same degree of hope. And it's not that I thought Washington was going to lose, or that I thought, but I felt by getting to the Peach Bowl, by getting to the college football playoff, that Washington had really maximized. Like that was. That was about as much as you could reasonably hope for on a team that was starting a true sophomore at quarterback. That 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 game kind of cemented this getting over the hump that Sark had made them competitive and Chris Peterson had 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 made them good and you felt good about the direction of the program and you're like, man, that's that's about all I could have hoped for out of this season. I don't feel that way yet about Washington. I have more expectation. I think they could win the national championship in a way that I did not believe was possible in 2016. And I think those stakes is what added to the nervousness and the excitement on Friday night, because if they had lost, they wouldn't have gotten this opportunity. And it's not that I felt it would have been stolen from them or Oregon would have earned it. It was, it was a part of the playoffs. And as as much as has happened in the discussion over the college football playoff and the selection process, there's something to be said for those conference championship games or the, the title games being a, a single elimination doorway into it. Ohio State had its chance and it didn't. Georgia had its chance and it didn't. Florida State got hosed, but Oregon, Washington, them playing for a berth in the college football playoff feels right. It feels appropriate. And I couldn't be more ecstatic that Washington is the one that that earned that in fairly convincing fashion with two wins over Oregon. You you brought up a point I've been thinking about a lot, mentioning the 2016 team. That team all year was playing for the four seed, really. Um, you know, they you could have finished higher maybe if they hadn't lost to USC. If they'd been perfect, if they'd gone undefeated, 13-0, maybe they'd have, they'd have been up. But once they lost to USC their only route into the playoff was as the four seed where Alabama would be waiting in Atlanta. And as heavy, I think they're about two touchdown favorite in that game. Alabama players were getting asked all week about being part of a dynasty. And Mm -hmm. is this, you know, if you guys finish the job here and go 15 and zero, is this the best Alabama team ever? Do you think that this could be considered one of the greatest teams in college football history period? They had what a lot of people, I mean, I think you could still say was one of the best defenses in college football history. They'd scored like 11 defensive touchdowns. They 
I don't know how many first rounders they had on that defense. I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick and uh, was it Jonathan Allen, the the defensive end or defensive yep. lineman? Um, I mean, a couple of a couple of NFL linebackers and just five stars on five stars and five stars. And it really did feel like the accomplishment for that Washington team was just getting there, uh, getting into the playoff, proving that they could be the kind of team that that you know, when everything comes together properly and that hey they've got this this young core recruited by Chris Peterson with their the veteran core that came there under Steve Sarkeesian um and it it, it all kind of came together for them to make the tournament but uh, I I don't I don't know who who was even looking past that game to like you know there was no consideration of like okay well who would you rather play in the championship Clemson or Ohio State and of course, I say all this stuff about the Alabama juggernaut, and, and they didn't even win the title that year. They lost to Clemson, but um, I think it was just so it would have been such a massive upset for them to beat Alabama in that game, and they gave themselves a chance. Their defense did anyway. Um, that yeah, I, I just don't think there was ever really like a thought that wow, this could be a national championship team. Whereas this year, they're the two, number two seed. And and there's an argument that they could have been number one. I, I never had any expectation that they would be, but they're the number two overall seed. They're playing a team that is far different than the one they saw in the Alamo Bowl last year. But still, this is a program that they defeated with many of the same players on their own roster a year ago. So uh, they can they can see a path, I'm sure, to that national championship game and it's it's never been more clear that at least internally um, among Kalen DeBoer and the coaching staff and the players, I mean, this is a team that absolutely expects to win a national championship, expects to have the opportunity to be in that game. In 2016, it was Alabama-Washington, and then the other semifinal was Clemson-Ohio State. And... If if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, both Alabama and Clemson were making their second straight college football playoff appearance. Um, Alabama and Clemson were clearly the two best teams in the country. That that's how it was perceived, and I think that's how it Clemson out. smacked Ohio State in that yeah, game. Yeah, they just brutalized them. I think it was thirty-one nothing. I don't think I don't think Ohio State scored, and and Washington was competitive. I thought I thought Washington showed that they had the defense to be in that game. They did not have an offense that was capable of functioning against against Alabama's defense. And that's that's no real slight. And when when Clemson ended up winning the title, I remember my conclusion was, okay, Washington just didn't have the quarterback. And that's not about Jake Browning. It's about Jake Browning being in his second full year of college football. They didn't have a quarterback that's necessary to beat a defense like Alabama had that's loaded with future. If you're going if you were going to beat that Alabama team, you had to have a quarterback that just had a day, like was able to overcome the, the amount of just brute force that defense had. Reuben Foster, all the other dudes that were on that team. Reuben Foster, that's right. Dude, that guy was a menace. <laughs> he was just destructive. And it was uh, a different linebacker who had the pick six. Yes, it was. <laughs> that, And they were loaded. And this year... Is is Michigan the favorite? Because of the four teams that are there, I actually think that Michigan has the least explosive offense. I'm not going to say worst offense because I think that they've got a really powerful run game and I think they're really strong up front, but they are by far the least explosive of these four teams. 
I think that all four teams have a pretty good shot. I I don't think there's a clear cut. Okay. These two are head and shoulders above everybody else that's in this field. And there's a certain amount of excitement that comes with that. I wish Washington was playing in the Rose bowl. I would have taken a Rose bowl berth versus anybody over going to the sugar bowl. But if you gave me my pick of opponents, I'm taking Texas. Of those four teams, who would I want most to play in the first round? I would choose Texas. I think it's the best matchup for them. Um, and if you want to go in terms of who the favorite is, you want to go by betting odds uh, per bet MGM. Michigan is a narrow favorite oh, really? at plus 170. But you can get Alabama at plus 190. Uh, Texas at plus 310. And then Washington's plus 700. So I it it, it kind of you know, comes down to who wins between Michigan and Alabama. It seems to, uh, the, 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 the odds seem to suggest that the, the winner of that game, uh, will, will be favored in the national championship. We'll see how it goes, man. Uh, I'm really excited. I, I think it's, I think it's really, really, it's a great opportunity. And I, I do feel significantly differently than I did in 2016. What did you think about the, the, the rogering that Florida state took? Yes. The, Florida State fans have the right to complain in perpetuity yeah. about that. I mean, and and they will. <laughs> you'll you'll never hear the end of it, but they uh, they deserve they deserve to complain about it forever. Absolutely ridiculous. And look, <clears throat> I I understand that if you're trying to pick the the four teams that have the best chance to win a national championship, no question that without Jordan Travis, Florida State's not one of them. I've I I put it this way that if you gave the number one seed um, their pick of like the top six, hey, who do you want to be the four seed? Who do you want to play? It, every one of these teams in the field would have chosen Florida State. Like that's who you wanted. Uh, mm-hmm. That would have been that would have, you know, you know Michigan was rooting like crazy to see Florida State pop up there as the number four, not just because <laughs> they're not Alabama. But because that is a significantly better matchup than the, any any possible team you could have put there, who was in the conversation. But it doesn't matter. They went thirteen and zero. They won all their games. They won all their games. Their quarterback got hurt, and then they won, and then they won again. And when they won the second time, they did it without their backup quarterback, and they did it against the team that the committee said was the fourteenth best team in the country. They're thirteen and zero. You can't. Look. They're thirteen and zero. They won all their games. They won all their game. I, I said this, remember, after Jordan Travis got hurt and the discussion was, oh, well, yeah, I think Washington's resume was better than Florida State's anyway. But maybe a reason Washington passes them in the rankings that week is because Florida State's without its quarterback. They're a different team now. Is the committee going to take this into consideration this week? And I I said, no, they shouldn't because they, that hasn't affected them yet. They haven't lost a game yet. Let's see how they look. Mm-hmm. Their defense is still really good. They still have some really good receivers, although they couldn't really throw the ball. But still, they're thirteen and zero. You can't leave a thirteen and zero Power Five conference champion out of the playoff. It's insane. It seems like it seems like all of the rationale and explanations of how studious the college football committee is about evaluating the resumes of these teams is so much hot air being emitted over the course of a season. Because when it comes down to it. It's a TV invitational, and they're going to pick the four teams that they think or the television networks think will make the best product. 
And it's not, it's not that the decision is wrong. It's that the decision is totally at odds with what we're led to expect a playoff will be. It's completely at odds with how you would decide those things. You can't leave a 13-0 undefeated team in a Power 5 conference out of it. And what's more, I don't think they would have been left out had Georgia beat Alabama. If Georgia beats Alabama, I am you. You cannot convince me that they don't put Florida State in there above Texas. Because then the you only, can use that to devalue Texas, right? It, it's it, hey, it's four four undefeated teams. The four undefeated teams that are going there. The problem was here were the three options that the College Football Committee, the selection committee, had. One, you take Alabama. And leave Florida State in. At which point, everybody goes nuts because Alabama had beaten Texas. Or I'm sorry, that Texas had beaten Alabama. Texas has beaten Alabama, therefore you can't, if those two teams have the same record, Texas has to go. Second option, you take Texas as the number four seed. In that case, you have an entire corner of the country which believes its college football conference to be some sort of quasi-religious entity being left out, and they're going to throw a collective hissy fit over how the best conference in the history of college football not being included makes the whole thing a complete crock. Or the fourth option is you leapfrog Texas and Alabama over Florida State without Florida State having lost, thereby appearing to be complete idiots who are completely hypocritical and the whole thing of these weekly rankings is just a farce. Cause when it gets down to it, they're going to pick who they want to pick. And they chose the fourth option because it is far easier and better to appear to be idiotic in public than to not give the TV networks, the matchups that they want. That's my, that's my collective summary. There is a, uh, there's a quote from Mike Leach that's been circulating around um, where he, he, he kind of nailed it. He said, it's, it's not a playoff. It is not in any way a playoff because there's nothing you can do to play your way into it. If the going 13 and zero in the ACC does not guarantee you a spot, then nobody's guaranteed a spot except for the champions of the big 10 and sec. Um, and so like, and you know what, as proof that it's not actually about seeding it, based on who they think the best teams are, consider that Washington is number two. Do you believe, Danny, that that committee thinks Washington is better than Alabama? But they yeah. know it would be, be insane to seed Alabama ahead of the 13-0 and team with the Heisman Trophy finalist quarterback. Now look, put them on a neutral field. I'm... I picked Oregon to win last week. I, I don't. I don't know that that I could could pick against Washington again. Just having seen them get it done week after week after week, they're that kind of team. I don't doubt that they could could beat anybody at this point. But are you telling me that that committee thinks Washington's a better team than Texas? Are you telling me you think that com- that committee thinks Washington's a better team than Alabama? That Washington's a better team than Georgia? Even I don't know. But but no, but they're they number don't. two because they they're don't. thirteen and zero and they haven't lost and they earned it. 
and they deserve it. And they deserve to be number two, and they might even deserve to be number one based on their resume. So I don't, I don't, I just don't buy at all that. Oh well, our charge is to choose the four best teams in order. No, because there is an element of most deserving. And, and I'm not even saying that that assumption would be correct. That like Washington's definitely not as good as this team that's lost a game or whatever. I just know that that's what the committee thinks. That has to like. I know they don't think Washington's better than Alabama. Right? I've come to, yeah, I completely agree with you. I 100% agree with you. The reason Washington's in the field is because there's no one that the college football committee wanted more in there. Like that's, that's the reason that they're in there. They're in there because that they could, they could, the college football committee could get all the teams they wanted in there without having to bump Washington. I, I have no doubt that had, an interesting question is if Florida state had Jordan Travis, if he hadn't gotten hurt, what would they do? I tend to think that it probably would have been the same thing. I tend to think they would have, they, they would have ended. I'm just glad that Washington wasn't in a situation where it's the one that got hosed because I don't for a second think that the college football committee has any sort of allegiance to anything other than the teams, the TV networks most want to see in there. Yeah, and I I really thought it was going to be Alabama 3 and Florida State 4, and I thought it was going to be Washington against Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. That was kind of (laughs) like, and I was not at all confident in that. You know, like I, I wouldn't have put money on it. I didn't feel that strongly about it, but I just thought of all the possible permutations here, I think we've clearly got Michigan 1 and Washington 2, but yep. I, I don't think they'll leave out the SEC champion. And oh, they're they're not going to leave out a thirteen and zero Power Five team. Come on, they got to put them in. I thought it was going to be Texas who got screwed, and and that's that's the takeaway. Yeah. Someone was getting screwed. A deserving team was getting mm-hmm. screwed because it's a four team playoff, and it never should have been a four team playoff. And thankfully, it won't be going forward. This this won't happen again. But I really thought that they were they they could not live with leaving out the SEC champ, and they I thought. I thought they couldn't live with leaving out the 13 and 0 team. Um, and I thought it was going to be Texas left out when, did you watch the selection show live? No, I did not. I was pretty surprised when Texas spot, they did one Michigan first and two Washington second. And then they did that. Then they did three and then they did six and then four and five. And when, when Texas popped up as the three uh, playing against Washington, I was I was fairly surprised. Um, and it is, it's weird. Like, it's almost like they decide, well, if Texas is going to be in the field, if Texas and Alabama are going to be in the field, Texas has to be higher than Alabama. But I yep. truly believe if Florida state had Jordan Travis, I uh-huh. think that, I think it would have been Florida state and Alabama. Wow. God, that'd be something, man. I, maybe they are that shameless. I can't say you're wrong. Clearly the reason was the sec champ was getting in. Like that was, that was above and above and beyond that. That was the non-negotiable. The SEC champ was getting in. And I think all of their decisions flowed through that. I've come to accept the college football playoff. I don't, I I don't want to gripe about it or play. You're sort of complaining about the way water flows at this point. That's the direction things are going. I think there are some advantages to it. I think there are also some disadvantages. I personally believe that the sport of college football is not built to crown its champion with the tournament. 
or a playoff. That's just my opinion. And I know all of the arguments against it. And I can't say they're wrong. All the other sports do it that way. All of the other sports have a tournament. But I will point this out. If we were going by the old school pre-BCS system, where there was all the convoluted college alignments with the various bowls, Christian, I want to read to you the four-bowl matchup that would be in place. The Rose Bowl, Washington versus Michigan. The Fiesta Bowl, Texas versus Oregon. The Sugar Bowl, Alabama versus Ohio State. The Orange Bowl, Florida State versus Georgia. That sounds like a pretty good list of games. And after playing all of those games, I'm going to bet that we would have a consensus on who the best overall team was. You'd still have, uh, you'd have the complainers about uh-huh. geography and matchups and all those sorts of things. But that and would be the, that would be very fun. And the people who would think that okay, there's not an SEC team pl- playing for the national title. You'd have one loss Georgia playing separately and one loss Alabama playing in the Sugar Bowl. But still a pretty good list of games and like i said this isn't the toothpaste is not going back in the tube on that one but i don't know man it's like i said i'm just happy that washington wasn't in the position where it was the one that got hosed because florida state did and when i saw yesterday that florida governor ron DeSantis was asking for a million dollars to be set aside in the budget so florida state could sue the college football playoff committee i was like go get him ron get that woke college football playoff system oh yes the woke college football playoff that, that, that favored alabama and texas yeah, and then somebody, somebody in my comments, I've got to, I've got to pull up the comment because it was really good. He said that that Ron DeSantis was in the process of trying to kidnap the Texas team, send him to Martha's Vineyard. Oh my God! And have Florida State show up in New Orleans in the Longhorns place. I was thinking, of- what if Florida State just showed up? <laughs> Like they just sent their whole team. They they got to the locker room first. They uh, they they show or, or maybe they just show up in their in their pads and uniform and are just like, <laughs> we're gonna play. We want it more. I I will say this. I I don't think I don't think the college football playoff committee. If you're evaluating the 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 game on or the field on who has the chance, I do think Florida State's gonna get walloped. I don't I don't think they would have yes. had much of a chance. Um they deserved the opportunity to try it. I'm not saying that, but it 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 will be interesting to see how that all plays out. Um you know what I like most about that that four team or excuse me, that four game lineup you you laid out there. No liberty. <laughs> oh, <laughs> now th- this this might be I'm sure this will pass. I'm sure my feeling that I currently am about to express will pass with time. But when I saw that matchup, I was like, I'll be damned. There is a team that I'd root for Oregon against. <laughs> that, was, that was my initial reaction was like, 
I'd like to see Oregon just absolutely destroy them in the Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> Somebody's like, well, Oregon's not going to have all its players. It's like, you could bench all Oregon starters and they're going to smoke that team. They're going to crush them. They're going to have Bo Nix. Yeah. Bo Nix, I, I think I've said I was completely wrong before. Bo Nick's a hell of a competitor. And he's played 60 games in college football, but he's he's a really good quarterback. He's a really, really, really good college football player. He hung in there, too. I mean... Yes, he did. You know, it's the Pac-12 championship. Like, those guys aren't just going to pack it in, but they just... They didn't panic. They just kept doing what they did. They, you know, just kept running the offense and hit a couple big plays, but... um yeah, I mean the the throw, the throw to to was it Tez Johnson who scored their last touchdown, the long one in the or maybe that was um oh the other transfer. No, it was five. number five. Yeah, dude, that um, guy he's a transfer from Alabama. That guy yeah, looked like a uh, monster. And the, and then was that Treshawn Holden? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know the scramble right. I mean, he can hit you with forty four yards if 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 you don't have everything locked up and. Um, he made, I mean, he made plays, no doubt to keep him in that game. Those two, the two fourth downs on their first possession of the second half. I mean, Washington was on those just two quick slants, bang, bang. He made perfect throws. Dudes made tough catches. Um, Terrence Ferguson made a great play on their first touchdown. I mean, moving, moving left to right in the end zone there down at the goal line and, you know, tapped it to himself with one hand and, um, Really, really surprised they could not get Bucky Irving going. Was not expecting that. Yeah, I I, I would agree. Of uh, the biggest thing that the biggest thing that tipped that game, I think, was the fact that Oregon's run game really, really didn't get going. And some of that was they chose to start the game passing so much, and that didn't move the sticks. I mean, they go three and out twice. And then they're behind, and that made it harder to to get into their group. But I would agree. The fact that Oregon's, which does have a really physical run game, that wasn't a factor in the game. Washington so, Washington had the more physical run game. So Texas is favored over Washington by like four, four and a half, four to five points, depending on the book. And uh, my wife mentioned to me this morning, like, she was su- surprised by that, right? That she's like, well, they were underdogs at Oregon State. They were big underdogs against Oregon. They won both of those games. You know, why is Vegas still still on their opponents? And I said, well, you know, it's the, it's the perception, right? Like, clearly, mm-hmm. Washington is perceived as the least likely team to win the championship out of this field. They're the one team that does not recruit at the majority four- and five-star level. The other three programs do. Texas is loaded with talent on both sides of the ball. Um, they, they've been putting up a ton of points lately. And then I, I got to thinking, well, what, how many teams not in the playoff do you think would be favored against Washington on a neutral field right now? Because I think it's at least three. Georgia. Ohio state. And so the question is, if they played a week from their last game on the same field, what's the point spread on Washington, Oregon? 
Does it does it swing back to Washington? Because they've beaten them twice, does it swing back to Washington's favor? favor or no, if Washington would it favorite. be Oregon, but just not by nine and a half the, this time? The point spread's going to be within three. It's on a neutral field. The point spread's going to be within three. I don't know if it. I don't know if Washington's favored though. I I don't know if they are. So, I think there's that tells us that of the current top eight. The the seven teams in the top eight that aren't Washington, six of them probably are still favored against Washington on a neutral field. And that's not, uh, I don't say that as an expression of like, I, I think they would definitely lose to all those teams. But in terms of perception and and what uh, what Vegas would install and like what the general like betting public thinks of Washington, I even though they're the number two seed and they're undefeated and in the college football playoff, I, I think they'd be underdogs against all, all, all six, six of those teams, with the exception of Florida State. Yeah, it's a funny point spreads, and and because point spreads do re- reflect public perception, like that's, and it's not, it's not entirely a popularity contest because you have enough people that are very active betters that the line moves if if someone sees a value. If someone sees, usually the line will be able to move. If you've got a team that is quote unquote underrated, if there's if a line is too big. But there's no doubt that the public perception about Washington does not does not measure up to the reality of the results. And part of that is an enduring an enduring bias against the conference that they play in. I'll be interested to see how these bowl games go because I do think that Washington and the Pac I think that I think the Pac-12 was the toughest conference this season. I I do think that the Pac-12 was the most challenging. I think they have the best top to bottom. Um we'll see how how it plays out in the in the in the bowl season, but it's not just East Coast bias. It's about how people feel about the Pac-12, and I'm sure that part of the part of the bias that plays into it is the fact that the conference is going away. <laughs> George Klyavkov. <laughs> how quick did he want to get off that stage? Yeah, it's so awkward. And he it's he so has weird. to be there. He's the commissioner. They got to give the trophy, and it's it is the league is still the league. He's still collecting a paycheck, although for exactly what I'm not sure. Um, yeah, just just awkward and weird, especially because he, like, these these are the two teams that on that fateful Friday morning in August uh, said, "Hey, we're taking our ball and going to the Big Ten. So, like, yeah, I I. I don't know what if George Klyovkov had his like personal druthers, his pick of who would play, which two teams would play in the Pac-12 championship game this season. Like, which would it be? Because I'm I'm sure he doesn't he wouldn't want it to be Washington State and Oregon State because they're kind of he he hasn't taken sides, so to speak, but he hasn't exactly been like super helpful to their cause. No. So. No, I. I, I think his preference would have been that they would have let him go yeah. and and not forced him to show up to collect his paycheck. <laughs> so there's a story, Bob Whitsitt, uh, back in the 90s when he was the, the GM of the Sonics, there's a story about 
Witsit wanted to raise there was a there was a, a an impasse between Witsit and Barry Ackerley who owned the Sonics. And then Ackerley determined and believed that Witsit was talking to other teams. So he believed that essentially Witsit had quit. And quit Witsit was like, I'm still employed. So he was showing up. And they removed all the furniture from his office. And eventually, I, I, I've i heard stories that they locked his office. And it was this whole, like, I didn't quit. I'm still coming to work. You still have to pay me. It's like, you've been talking to other teams. You quit. You're gone. Like, nope, I've got a contract. And there's a little bit. Klavkos is like, what am I, what am I doing? I, I, I took my best shot. I missed. Can I just not show up anymore? And they're like, no, it's still alive. You still got to show up and do your job. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to give you minimum effort. You get minimum flair from me. And that's what we saw. The, uh, that wits hit story reminds me of, uh, we fixed the glitch. Yeah, from- exactly. It is, a, it is an space. office space type of thing. Oh, so you fired him? Uh, we fixed the glitch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he won't well, be getting paid anymore. Uh, Ian McFarland, our fine friend, was in attendance in Las Vegas. I also believe that he's he's paid the price for his attendance. I I, I read on Twitter that our friend Ian is uh, holed up in a Marriott somewhere because he has tested positive for COVID. No word on whether someone puked on his shoes which may or may not be how I caught COVID after watching Washington's first game against Oregon this season. But Ian, being someone with a mailman's persistence, neither sleet nor snow nor stuffy nose will keep him away, has sent us a question that's worth a conversation this week. Guys, that was pretty special for any of us that were lucky enough to be there, and I presume anybody who is watching from home? That's a game that that none of us will soon forget. Absolutely magical. Um, I'm sure that I'm not the only one who had the full spectrum of emotions during that game. Um, I'm assuming you're probably going to talk about that with my pro- without my prompting you. So, I my my question won't be there. And instead, look at this week. Um. The transfer portal opened. I don't really follow recruiting. I, I find it a little creepy. And what do I know about a high school player's talent? Uh, but the portal, we feel like we know something because we've seen a lot of these guys play and can look at their, their relevant statistics at the same level. Um, it looks like Washington already has a commitment uh, at quarterback and, and wide receiver and both very strong ones people have actually heard of, which is amazing. Um, but what's the rest of the shopping list? We, we can get to the Sugar Bowl over the next couple of weeks, um, but a key week or two for recruiting. What's the shopping list for the 2024 team? And what are we going to see in the portal uh, over the next few weeks? Heck of a weekend. Absolute magic. Go dogs. That is a man. That is a man who used his best stuff on Friday night. That was a man who gave it all there in Las Vegas at Allegiant Stadium and is like a trooper, like an absolute rock coming back. Now, the quarterback he was referencing, I'm assuming, is Will Rogers from Mississippi State. And mm-hmm. I don't think there's been an official commitment, but I saw someone that had talked to Rogers, basically said that he thought the Huskies were a favorite. Um, 
other quarterbacks that are in the portal, Cameron Ward, Dylan Gabriel from from Oklahoma. Uh, I also saw that Brian Harson, the former Auburn coach, got on Twitter and made some sort of comment of like, well, it's time to go buy your quarterback in the in the portal and then turn comments off on the quote. <laughs> And everybody was just roasting him about like, oh, what would you know about recruiting? <laughs> Which well, was pretty funny. <laughs> it is that time of year. Um, yeah, there there haven't been any any official commitments yet. Of course, this this publishes Thursday morning. Maybe something happens between now and then. And if it does, I'll I'll cut this part out. <laughs> but uh Will Rogers, the Mississippi State transfer, has been there. There's been a a 24/7 sports crystal ball put in um, for for him to Washington. So there there is a belief that that will happen. From what I understand, like the you know the smoke is legit on that. Um, but I, I don't know that how close um, he is to actually making a commitment or an announcement or anything like that. I, I assume the receiver that that Ian is referring to is Tobias Merriweather. Um, from Notre Dame, uh, obviously played at Union High School down in, I always forget if Union's in Camas or Vancouver without looking. I think it's in, I think it might be in Camas. Do you know how you tell the difference? How? You take a big, deep inhale and you, That's and true. you, de- and you determine whether or not it stinks. Cause if it stinks, it's Camas. You know what that stink <laughs> is though? It's a paper mill. That's what money smells like. <laughs> Camas Washington. Used to say in college, a lot of money someone, in Camas uh, Washington. Smelled especially fetid. We would say, "Who's got Camas in their pocket?" <laughs> uh, anyway, he was a guy didn't really consider Washington out of high school, and people were were kind of not pleased that here's this this in state recruit who UW never really made like great inroads with. Um, of course, that was the the previous coaching staff, but. He is uh, went to Notre Dame, played some, um, I think was maybe passed up this year a little bit, but uh, big receiver, you know, 6'4", big bodied receiver, got some college experience. Um, I'd say the the body type that they're looking for with Romo Dunze moving on, they have some capable guys who could be coming back. We'll see if Jalen McMillan is maybe one of those. That's a storyline to watch over the next month or so as as he maybe decides uh, about his future. We'll see if if they get Jalen Polk back. Obviously, you know, Giles Jackson has another year now. Jeremy Bernard, I think, could take a big step forward next season. But you're going to need at least another playmaker uh, or two, I think, at receiver, kind of depending on on what they lose. Um, Obviously, they're going to take a quarterback you know, whether it's Will Rogers or somebody else, it sounds like Dylan Gabriel is is um, an Oregon target. The, the, the vibe on him is kind of Oregon at this point. And you've seen Ohio State thrown out for Cam Ward. So we'll, we'll see where he ends up. Why would a quarterback choose Oregon over Washington at this point? Well, I mean, and I say I say that recognizing that I'm I'm all of all of the underlying bias. If you're a quarterback that's out looking for a new spot, why are you not choosing Washington, given what Michael Penix did? Who just won Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year? Bo Nix. Yeah. Who's going to get so, drafted higher? I I would guess it'll be Penix. Um, Got to be Penix, right? But the opportunity is still there at, at yeah. Oregon, and you're, you're also you're on a huge platform. I mean, look at the attention Bo Nix got. 
this season. That's true. It okay, was, that's that that's a fair point. But so man, you've got you've got the Oregon it. machinery behind you, and you know I I think Washington's in a pretty good place nil wise when it comes to the transfer portal. Um, mm-hmm. but Oregon's in a different place than Oregon's in a different place than most anybody. Right. I think that's at least that's sort of the assumption. So, yeah. and I don't want to so, suggest that like, it's purely about money either, but if it were purely about money, you know, there's a handful of schools that can, can throw some cash around that where, where even those who are advantaged like Washington is, you know, maybe it's not quite on the same level. I would say this, that Washington, their best sales pitch at this point is look at what you're able to do here. Look at the the position that this offense puts you in. And Michael Penix, first his success under DeBoer at Indiana, and then how after transferring to Washington, it picked up right where it left off. And I recognize that there are some health issues that have nothing to do with Kalen DeBoer that factor into Michael Penix's career. If you're a quarterback, the NIL is short money. The long money is in a potential NFL career. And as good as Bo Nix was this year, and he was he had a great year, in my mind, the difference between his pro prospects and Penix's NFL teams for two years have watched Penix throw downfield consistently. Like they have seen, there is no doubt about his arm, his guts, all of the different things. You're going to hear a lot in the, he can make all of the throws, which essentially means that he can drive a ball outside the numbers that he's, he's got the arm strength to be able to do that. I would be very surprised if, if Bo Nix is chosen in the first half of the draft. Um, I would think that that presentation, I've almost wondered if Washington has to be careful about over-promising to any transfers because you're going to want to recruit and develop guys from within the program. And I think there's a risk in becoming a school that just shops for your quarterback in, in the portal that goes portaling. I saw that used as a verb today, which I really enjoyed. Are you going to go portaling? A portaling we will go, a portaling we will go. There's there's a Austin Mack is a pretty high profile prospect, right? Like the expectation he, he enrolled a year early. I'm sure that he's expecting or hoping to <laughs> compete for for the starting job, if not this next season, the year after that. It's an interesting question about how the quarterback market will play out because I really think that Washington, even though that you got the rainy weather and all of that, should be at the top of any quarterbacks list and if there was really a guy that they wanted to go and get they've got a monster pitch by just pointing it look what you get to do in this offense i'm sure that's exactly what they're they're pitching to quarterback prospects i don't even know how much you have to pitch right they're number two they're undefeated Penix is a heisman candidate like (laughs) really you just kind of got to open your eyes and then decide is this a fit for me culturally you know, when I go and visit, what kind of vibe do I get? Do I feel like I get along with this coaching staff, with the players? And um, don't think it's really about academics at this point, at least for the guys that they're looking at it at quarterback. I mean, you're talking about older guys, maybe guys who already have their degree um, or who are just looking for a, you know, a, a one year stop. That's why I, I don't think Washington's looking for somebody who's got more than a year of eligibility. Um 
they like Austin Mack a lot, um, but mm-hmm. obviously don't want to rely on him as a redshirt freshman next year. So I, I would think that they the, the plan is probably still for him to be their guy in the future. And at that point, you know, we'll see can the staff develop a, a high school quarterback. But um, I'm curious what they're telling portal quarterbacks about what they're expecting to have at receiver, because that was a huge deal for Michael Penix Jr. When he came out for his visit, he was looking, he he visited UCF and Washington in the same weekend and it was all business and no one even knew he was there uh, until afterward. And it was just show me film. Who are the receivers? Who are the O-line? Who are the running backs? Who am I throwing to? Who do you have back? You know, what, what are the weapons look like? Are you going to have an O-line that can protect me? Um, and, and so I'm sure Will Rogers and anybody else is going to have those same questions, especially, you know, everybody knows who Romo Dunze is and everybody knows Romo Dunze is going to be playing in the NFL next year. Um, and they're losing their, their main two tight ends. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm curious what DeBoer and Grubb and, and those guys are, are, are telling quarterbacks about kind of their offensive core. And, you know, obviously I'm sure they expect to go into the portal to address some of those other positions too. Like they're going to definitely lose one tackle. We'll see if, if they, if Roger Rosengarten sticks around, if I had to put money on it today, I would kind of bet that he would, um, feels like a guy who maybe with one more year could, could work his way up stock wise. Um, but you don't have, a super obvious heir apparent at left tackle. Um, you know, they, Nate Kalepo and Julius Bulow both have a year of eligibility left. Obviously, Parker Brailsford uh, had an outstanding debut season. You've got three years left with him. Um, there's there's some pieces there, but, you know, I, I wouldn't be, you know, if there's a tackle out there in the portal um, who's got experience, who they feel good about, I would expect them to to pursue that. And kind of going back to Ian's question on the shopping list, I don't know that there's a position on the team that I would say they're not going to look right. I mean, you you look at how loaded this team was with experience and the guys they're going to lose at the positions they're going to lose them at. They're going to lose both their starting edge rushers. They're going to lose both their starting D tackles. They're going to lose one of their starting linebackers. Who's a first team all conference guy this year. Corner. We'll see Jabbar Muhammad. Um, I think had a really good year was a really nice addition for them. Second team, all conference made some huge plays and some big games. Uh, but with his size, I don't know that he's definitely like, a, Oh yeah, he's going pro for sure. So kind of wait and see on, on him. Um, maybe you, you want to add one more just to, to be competitive and, 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 make your roster as good as it can be, but you should have Elijah Jackson back. You should have Thaddeus Dixon back, should be getting Devon Banks back from, from injury. Um, and then obviously you got those freshmen that they signed this year, Caleb Presley, Leroy Bryant, um, Curly Reed, who, who you could rely on next year too. So like the bodies at corner maybe aren't, uh, maybe you're at a spot where you don't necessarily need to go portaling uh, unless there's a, an obvious fit out there. Uh, you need help at safety. You're losing Dominique Hampton. We'll see if they're losing Asa Turner. Um, mm-hmm. He only played in four games this year. He has a red shirt available. He's another guy who's going to have to make a decision. But um, they, you saw how a couple injuries made things really thin there this year. Vincent Nunley um, just went in the, in the transfer portal. Um, so, you know, again, they got some young guys coming up behind them. Diesel Gordon and, and Vincent Holmes. And they signed their 
have a couple committed in this 2024 class who I assume are going to sign Peyton Waters and, and Joshua Lair. So there'll be bodies, but in terms of experience, um, you probably want to go out and get a guy if you can. So at every level of the defense, except for maybe corner and only if Jabbar Muhammad stays, you're, you're talking about probably needing some guys. And then, you know, I don't know that there's a position offensively, even if Dylan Johnson sticks around um, and, and, and plays next year, you've, you've got Richard Newton moving on and you got a bunch of guys who haven't played a ton behind him. Um, and it's a physical position and Dylan Johnson has battled injuries himself. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they wanted to go out and get another transfer there. But if Dylan Johnson is coming back, then you've got all these portal running backs looking at a thousand yard rusher returning to the roster that they would potentially be joining. So I, I don't know if that limits your options there. Wait, what'd you just say? Dylan Johnson rushed for a thousand yards. Dylan Johnson, the one thousand yard rusher in the Pac-12. Is that correct? He is. Uh, he's one of four. Yes. What really jumps off the page about that is he's second in the league in rushing attempts. I mean, did that you dude, think that what, that a, a University of Washington running back would be second in the league in attempts this year in this offense? Not only that, but watching him run through pain, it's pretty remarkable. That is a tough dude. <laughs> that is a remarkably tough dude. And what, what he was, because it's clear it's clear how much pain he was playing through uh, certainly the last two weeks. And he, and he dished it out too. Yeah. I mean, punishing runner, punishing runner. Um, Yeah. He, he had, he had an absolutely, absolutely great season. Um, We don't have any games to pick. No, we don't. I mean, got we a little do, bit of but not yet. We got army Navy, army Navy coming up. Um, I think that's that's the one on the docket this week. And we get to take a deep breath. Bask in the afterglow, for me at least. Yeah. No, I'm taking a deep breath too. I don't have to go to Seattle for a few more days. <laughs> I, that makes a I mean, it makes a huge difference um, just in like what other reporting I'm able to do and like writing and, you know, going to the grocery store and stuff. Um, so it been nice to nice to have a little uh a little time at home. Are you, uh, are you making plans for new Orleans? I am. I put our, my ticket request in. I'm not sure as of right now, I'm not sure if my other season ticket brethren are going, they're planning Houston. If it's, if it, if it happens, but new Orleans is a, is a tough, it's a tough trip. Um, one of the guys is in Alaska. The other one is in Phoenix, but was very mad because he couldn't get a direct flight to new Orleans. Um, but yeah, I am planning to go to, to go to new Orleans. Have you been there before? I haven't. No, it is a filthy city, like a beautifully, deliciously filthy city. Like the food is outstanding. And I'm saying that as someone who doesn't drink and I've been there sober. Um, it's it is it is a beautifully haunted city. But man, it is under sea level. It is dirty. I'm looking forward to it. I a friend of mine um, worked there out of college for a few years, and I always I, I wished I could have made it out then. Um you know, I, for ease of travel and, and all those things, like I'd, I'd be much easier to get on a plane and, and fly to LAX. Uh, but, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to experiencing New Orleans for the first time. Also, did you see the, um, the new flights that Alaska added a I couple did. days ago? So they I were did. supposed to go live at 5 PM and they went live early at like 4:45, And by 5 PM, there weren't, I don't think there were even any seats left or if they were, they were like 
outstandingly gouged, like crazy yeah. gouged. It's a it's an expensive trip. It has always been one of the more difficult trips to take from Seattle, and that's coming from somebody who covered the NBA and went to New Orleans each and every year. Uh, not an easy place to get to. Um, I was glad to see that they added additional flights. I fully expect it to be 80% Texas fans down there, but I know that I'm going to have a blast. Um, it's a great place for a bowl game, and this has just been such an awesome season. If they win, are you going to go straight on to Houston? I'll go back to New York and then come to Houston. Yeah, I can't how, imagine. How long is the flight from New York to New Orleans? I think it's about two and a half hours. I think it's okay. about I think it's about Seattle to L.A. That's just isn't Maybe that amazing? Like I I think of Seattle to L.A. as like a a short, quick flight. And yeah. there are so like there are so many major cities you can get to in that same amount of time, like in in the rest of the country. You know, there were living in New York City, like probably longer for that part of the country. Yeah. Living in New York City, you are you become acquainted with how skewed the geography is over here compared to in the West Coast. So a six hour drive, Washington, D.C., which is somewhere like there's four or five cities that are closer to New York than, than Washington, D.C., but Washington, D.C. is a six-hour drive away. So it's a fairly drivable distance, and there's in that span, there's Philadelphia, there's Boston. Like in that, that radius from around New York, there's Providence. Things are just much more closely packed together over here, and when you fly two and a half hours, you're in a completely different part of the country. I think even Austin to New Orleans is only about seven hours and change. I mean, yeah. very managed, very manageable in it to do it, you know, do it in a day, stay the night, go to the game, wake up the day after the game and, and drive back. So oh, do they drive back with tears in their eyes? Well, we'll see. They could with tears of joy. <laughs> we do need to talk about who's going to be the, the, the University of Washington celebrity that we present as a counterbalance to McConaughey. I mean, it, have they played out Joel McHale enough yet? Joel has carried the flag and done it exceptionally well. Joel in full body paint might be pretty funny. I was I was thinking maybe Kenny G. Kenny G. Yeah, I don't know if Kenny G's winning the celebrity battle against Matthew McConaughey. Um, what if he's, I don't think... what if he's down there? What if he's down there with his clarinet or his jazz sax? What about a triumvirate of Joel McHale, Kenny G, and Rain Wilson? Rain Wilson, I could see that. I could see that. Uh, or just bring in Bob Sapp and let him clobber everybody. Yeah, there you go. Bob Sapp. Well, uh, enjoy the rest of December. There's no game this week. No game next week. No game. We're going to be back. We're, we're going to be, we're going to be back next week though. We will, but you need to start enjoying December now. It's, it's, you know, <laughs> it's important every day. Every day is Christmas in December. Um, that reminds me, our our daughter turns three, I guess tomorrow, Friday. Uh, Ruby, as a December as a December child, she's she's just obsessed with Christmas. So this is this this year's Christmas has been fun um, with all the the decorations and the tree and the lights, and she's just very into all of it. So um, enjoy your December as well. Maybe next time. Uh, Maybe next time we sit down, we'll be talking about a, a contract extension for Kalen DeBoer. Who knows? That's break open gotta, the bank. Got to happen at some point, I would imagine. Although every win just uh, just pushes that 
that dollar figure higher. So um, take care until then. We'll talk to you next week.